Hey everybody, I'm Kalila Reynolds and welcome back to another live edition of Taking Stock where we bring you all the latest business news and tell you how it will affect you and your money. How was your Easter holiday? Did you give up anything for Lent and now you get to have it again? Hopefully feeling good about that. Let me know in the comments below. I'm also happy to see all of you, all the early warmers on and commenting. And remember guys, head over to the website. You want to subscribe to the newsletter kalilareynolds.com slash newsletter because we are giving you more value in your inbox every, not every day, but a few times a week, right? Of course, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button if you haven't done that just yet. And let us know in the chat where you're joining us from tonight. Now, here's a look at what's coming up in this evening's show, followed by what's hot in business. And of course, come on, let's get this money. April is shaping up to be one of the worst months ever on the Jamaica Stock Exchange after losing $5 billion in a day. But why? We'll discuss with our team of expert analysts. And the analysts weighed in on the latest market developments. Supreme Ventures and Caribbean Cement results are out. How did they do? We'll discuss. But first, here's what's hot, brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart. 17 employees of separate group were arrested in connection with a multi-million dollar fraud case at the manufacturing company. According to the police, approximately $160 million was defrauded from the company in a scheme that included over 20 employees. Deputy Commissioner of Police Fitz Bailey said the alleged fraud was spearheaded by two information technology employees who manipulated the company's systems to allow unauthorized sales of the company's products. Jamaica ranked 10th on a list of countries with the highest crime rate globally, according to U.S.-based statistic agency World Population Review. According to the site, the crime rate was determined by comparing the total number of reported crimes in Jamaica with the country's total population. Jamaica ranked 10th with a crime rate of 67.42 per 100,000 persons. Trinidad and Tobago and Guyana were ranked 6th and 7th respectively with crime rates of 71.63 and 68.74 crimes per 100,000 citizens. According to the site, Jamaica is plagued by government corruption, gang activities and high levels of violent crime including sexual assault. Digital wallet provider Link has partnered with the Yellow Media Group to provide e-commerce solutions for micro, small and medium businesses through its LinkBiz platform. According to the company, the solution, which will officially launch later this month, will allow easy access to e-commerce services and payment platforms. Business owners will be able to integrate payment solutions like scan-to-pay for physical locations or a pay-with-link button for online transactions into their businesses. As part of the partnership, Yellow will also support businesses with its website development solution during the first phase of the partnership. French President Emmanuel Macron signed his controversial pension reform into law last Friday. 
bumping the age of retirement up from 62 to 64. The update comes after months of protests, with many saying the change will mostly impact women and unskilled workers who started their careers early. Macron said the law reform was necessary to avoid annual pension deficits, which are forecast to hit almost 15 billion US by 2030. The president has faced fierce backlash over the decision, with his approval ratings now at its lowest. What's Hot was brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart. JMMB Moneyline is a unique online banking and investment system for you. Online transfers, bill payments, and buying and selling stocks. Simply log in and access JMMB Moneyline. Drive easy with JMMB, offering loans for new and used cars from JMMB Bank and protection through JMMB insurance brokers. Like lifelong friends, JMMB has your best interest at heart. Contact a JMMB advisor today and let's take on your future together. This segment of Taking Stock is brought to you by Bulwark Insurance Agency. Insurance made easy. Just two hours with me can change your life. But don't take it from me. Why I decided to buy Kalila's Masterclass, which is, for me, was a game changer. I'm Kalila Reynolds, financial journalist and educator, and I'm on a mission to help you get better with money. Take my all-new Money Mission Masterclass. We're talking about budgeting. My top things today were about budgeting and investing. We're kicking bad debt out the door. And I also learned about how to pay off your credit card debt. And I'm giving you the keys to wealth creation by helping you getting started with investing. This masterclass helped me to start my own investment journey. I had so many takeaways. The way that I look at money now and saving, I don't, I look at it different now. With a bonus module from Keisha Bailey, my girl, the profit jump starter, who'll show you how to find great companies to invest in. I've been in the investing industry now for over 18 years. So give yourself the best gift. Go to kalilareynolds.com slash masterclass to join the money mission. Let's get this money. All right, there we go. Welcome back, everybody. Great to see you. Did you miss me? Because I sure missed you. I am so excited to see all the numbers going up, up, up on the views, all the numbers in the chats. Let me shout out some of you who joined us early as usual. Here's Kish saying, hello, moneymakers. We know Kish joins us every week straight out of London, England. Raquel is another regular. Shout out to Horace saying, howdy, money magnets. Blessings to you all. KRM way up. Yes. Ava joining us as well, saying hi all. Spartan King saying good evening. Swear I've been waiting for this episode like a new TV series. <laughs> well, happy that we are here and we didn't disappoint. Uh, Ready and Waiting says Demar. Michael saying Moneymakers. Portmore in the building says Anthony. Lamtree saying I finally catch you live. Happy to have you this week, Lamtree, joining all the way from St. Mary. Uh, Robert saying, checking in from New Jersey. We have Chris checking in from Panama City. And let me see, there was one more that I wanted to catch. Lamtree, yes, pointing out that 64 people were watching. It's now 101. Only 17 likes on the video. So guys, please do me a favor. Do yourselves a favor. Do your friends and family who need to see this video a favor and just hit up the like button, right? Hit the thumbs up right there on YouTube 
or on Facebook, wherever you're watching us this evening. And shout out to LeVar as well from Mandeville and everybody else who's joining us this evening. Because we do have a very interesting show. We, have, we need answers. The Jamaica Stock Exchange recorded a massive $5 billion loss hovering at just above pandemic lows following its slide on Monday, April 3. So what factors caused this huge plummet? We're going to discuss with our team of experts, analysts this week. We have David Rose, who's a business writer at the Jamaica Observer. And we also have uh, Stephen Jackson from the Jamaica Gleaner. Uh, Stephen, you can give us your updated title. I'm not sure if you're in editorial role now. You deserve it, but you can give us your title. And Jamar Brown is a senior research analyst at JN Group. So welcome, Jamar, Stephen. Good and evening, guys. Good evening. I, I can't Good. just call it just writer, Stephen, because you're big. No, 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 right, 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 right. I, do, I do other things, but nothing different. Okay. All right, cool. Well, we'll leave it at that. So on Monday, April 3, uh, was it you who wrote that article? Because it had no byline, by the way. I wrote it. I wrote it. I wrote it. I figured it was you because I recognized your style. So I figured yeah, as yeah. much. On Monday, April 3, the Jamaica Stock Exchange recorded a massive $5 billion loss in just that one yeah. day. So I want to hear all of your perspectives on it. And since you wrote the article, Stephen, let's start with you. Well, uh, well thanks for having me. Um, you know, Salila, you're on an amazing show. But I think just to put it in the context, it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, we're living in a in a seesaw battle of, uh, you know, interest rates are going higher. And because of that, you know, the stock market is going to actually have some kind of fallout. Uh, so that's the general context. So it's not as if these losses are necessarily realized unless investors, individual investors actually. Stephen, you're kind of difficult to hear. Your audio is not yeah. great. Um, sounds kind oh, of, no. I don't know if it's the earphones that you're using, but let me switch over to David and then maybe you guys can test and see if we can sort out the audio issue. Uh, in the comments though, viewers, if you are okay with how Steven sounds, let me know in the chat. But to me, I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing him. Yeah, I'm ha I have to really focus to, to hear what he's saying. So David, what happened on April 3 and what has happened since? Well, let's bring into some context into it. So we need to remember that, you know, on March 31, you'd have seen several securities considerably increase in value. So to keep that extremely simple, you'd have seen uh, 139 securities traded that day alone. You'd have had 55 increasing, 37 declining, 30 19 And you know, what's so significant about March 31, that is the end of the quarter. In this case, the first quarter for many companies, brokers, and, you know, funds. What you tend to see during the end of the quarter, especially in the financial year, is that you see the price of numerous securities increase. And you also tend to see a significant best bid value applied, you know, to stocks. So to give you context, for example, on 31, you had access financial, you know, trading up by the 96, it closed at 25.55, but its best bid price was 25.98, while the best ask was 25.99. Now, 
why does that matter? Let us go back to accounting. International accounting standards say when you're measuring the fair value of securities, you use the best bid price, not necessarily the closing price, because different markets will have different methodologies to calculate the closing price. So in Jamaica's case, we use a volume-weighted average pricing method, VWAP, meaning value traded for the day, divided by the number of shares, that's where you get the closing price. And the closing price can be very different versus the best bid price. As I give an example, so assets close twenty five dollars fifty five, but the best bid price is at twenty five ninety eight. So for like funds, uh, brokers, persons who have to manage, monitor and also manage their uh, portfolio based on those accounting standards, you know, measure their portfolio at twenty five ninety eight for access, for example, not twenty five fifty five. And you know, if you were looking at the queues for several securities for that day, so like Regis Petroleum, Indies Pharma, a piece of properties, separate, and this goes on. You saw where there were these significantly large buy orders that just, you know, most of them came out in the last five minutes of trading, and they stayed there for the end of, for that particular day. And when Monday came, those significant buy orders they all vanished, and persons who you know would have been wanting to potentially exit their positions on the Friday. Just said, hey, I don't care, I need to get out. So they just sold on the Monday. And because there's no support in that context of you know those large buy orders to kind of help support the price, also security prices fell. So as a result of that, you would have seen, as you mentioned, a $5 billion drop in the index value. So for example, NCB apologies. So the JSC calculates indices by using you know, the market capitalization by a base divisor. But the market capitalization itself is the market price times the number of shares. So when NCB fell, for example, by $1.60 come Monday, that alone would have been a change of about $3.95 billion from just one security alone. And NCB is a part of the JSC index. And I'm highlighting this very length explanation to show that it's just that particular change between March 31 and April 3, where you'd have seen you know, that drop in prices just because, and of course, alone. So there's no reason to necessarily be in the market after that. So that, that's kind of really what's happened in, in a sense. So in case, the end of the world, they hear that $5 billion drop. The market is down quite considerably since the year started, probably about 10%, camera immediately. But Otherwise, $5 billion drop isn't spelling, you know, the doom or the J's or anything like that. Yeah. The market has seen a reduction in liquidity. And as a result, that's why we saw that, you know, massive drop on April 3. All right, let's get Stephen back. Let me see how you sound now. Yeah, can you, can you hear me any? Can you hear me a little bit better? You sound low. Yeah, I don't but... know. I, I, I blame but... Apple. I blame Apple. <laughs> tell, tell, tell Apple, the tell quality Apple. is better, but yeah. just that it's on okay, low. I'll, that's I'll, the only thing. Okay, so I, I I agree that the calendar effect had some impact on the fall. Absolutely, absolutely. But if you step back, that two point five percent fall on the day was still the largest fall in the year. 
right? And and so you still get a ultimate decline. So yes, it it increased by two something percent the day before, but it also but it dipped. And of course, this is not the first dip. Where we've been we've been dip and falling since COVID, and that's the that's the that's the overall and arching context, right? Of course, if you don't sell, if you're not selling, and if you're averaging down on stocks that you believe have a future, then it's okay. But for those that actually exited the market on on the third, on the first trading day of, of April, yeah, you lost money. But again, I, I don't want to try to make it seem all doom and gloom, but the reality is is that the market is under pressure because of the wider interest rate um, movement upwards of interest rate in the market. Right. So the, the, the tightening of the money supply is actually squeezing squeezing the bulls. Well, let me bring Jamar in. Jamar uh, is a senior research analyst at JN Group. What's, what's your perspective on the cause of this and how concerned should we be? Um, well, I, I think I agree with David um, based on the research that I've done. I believe that the decline is is likely due to portfolio managers rebalancing their portfolios. Um, to add some more color, March 31st is also the end of the financial year for a lot of companies. So it appears that investors took the opportunity to, to shore up their balance sheets. Um, so given that Friday of that week, that's the March 27th to March 31st, Friday being March 31st, that would have been the last day of the quarter as well as the last day of the financial year for a lot of companies. So if we look at that week, which would be the week prior to the April 3rd decline, um, we see that the market advanced by over 5.5% with most of that increase happening on the Thursday Thursday, the market advanced by 2.56% and the Friday by 1.63%. So it's not unusual that for the end of a quarter or a financial year to see the stock market become more volatile with the share price of some companies reversing direction. And that is because portfolio managers are often rebalancing their, portfolio, their portfolios at these times. Um, we so saw is this something that we see every year? So is that's the thing. So we, we, we see some price volatility happening um, at the end of most quarters. So at the end of December 31st um, quarter, we saw it happening end of September 30th. We saw it happening maybe not at the same magnitude, but certainly the last mean. trading days in the quarter, they're usually characterized by increased trading. And, and that's and, the thing. I think it's the magnitude that, that caught off, off guard because we, we, even though there is volatility at the end of a quarter, at the end of a year, this right, was so, a lot more than, than is typical, wasn't it? Yes, yes, that's true. So that's where I would bring in Stephen's argument in regards to liquidity leaving the market. So it's it's a combination of all of these factors which resulted in the, in the outsized um, loss on, on that particular day. But definitely the... Friday being the last day of the financial year had a part to play. Um, so, as I said, in the same vein, it's it's typical to, to see a decline in the index in the days after the quarter ends. Um, so that's what we're talking about here. So, and this is because as investors seize the opportunity to grab cheap stocks, 
at the end of the quarter to shore up their balance sheet positions. Um, naturally, they exit some of those positions to book the gains um, in the following day. So if the share price of a company that they invested in had experienced a particularly strong increase over the period, they may decide to take the profit on those trades and sell the shares, which can push down the company's share price. To illustrate this point, Kalila, um, two of the most heavily weighted stocks on the market, David mentioned one of them, NCB, the other being Sajikor Group, they both declined on the Monday in question. NCB declined by 2.4%, Sajikor by 9%. And that might sound small, but with the size of these companies, the size of their, their um, market cap, they, that's a, a large dollar value um, decrease. But if we check the week before, which is the same March 27 to March 31 week, both of their stock prices were up um, week over week. NCB was up 6.56%. Sagicor was up 12.54%. So this speaks to that, that um, rebalancing that portfolio managers would have done to cash in on, on the gains on those on those stocks, which mm. definitely played played towards the market dipping. Okay. Stephen, I know you're a numbers guy. You love to analyze trends. Uh, so that said, the JSC combined index lost just a, a smidge on Tuesday after sliding two and a half percent on Monday. And that is what wiped out the five billion. And this this was from your article a couple of weeks ago, right? But can you tell us where you saw the biggest uh, dips? Was it main market, junior market, any particular I, I, types I, I, of I, industries? I can't I, I can't go into such minutia. What what I what I would say is that overall, what you're looking at is an index that is not more than five percent above the COVID lows of three of three hundred and thirty. 5,000 points on the on March 20, right? The combined index. We're not, we're really not much above that. And and some people will say that, you know, we actually are on track to actually hit bottom again. Um, yeah, just just for context in terms of the index, the index actually hit a, a low for this year um, on March 23rd, right? Um, but again, when it was creeping back up, as as um, both um, colleagues were saying, it was creeping back up to to uh, have a really nice fat gain for these um, financial houses at the end of the year, end of their trading year. So it was creeping back up, but then it hit a low on the 23rd, and then of course on the first trading day in, in April it dived, right? And again, why did it dive? Because fundamentally people are moving from the stock market towards fixed income. And that's, that's just it. They're moving towards fixed income and real estate. You know, and fixed income and real estate. So so the last time we were on this show, Levar, uh, your colleague at JN told us about government bonds that were in the market. And so Levar, why well, call you Levar just now? Levar is the person commenting mm -hmm. in the chat. Levar said... So you also think, well, he's asking you guys, do you think that the new government bonds had any to do, anything to do with some of the decline in the market? So Stephen th seems to think so, talking about this move yeah. to fixed income. Let me ask David first. What do you think? Just, 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 as, just as one little context, right? Because sure. Also, also unit trust, right? People are also moving to unit trust. And if you notice, a lot 
more financial houses are actually announcing real estate um, real, um, unit trust. And one of the reasons why is in relation to Barita. Barita has a unit trust that they say in one year the gain was 1,347%. Right? That is insane. Right? Now, anybody who sees that a thousand percent in a year yeah so that's like if you put in so if you put in ten thousand dollars three thirteen million dollars in a year that's what they're saying if you put in how much they're saying that the index that their unit trust the real estate i'll show you right now because i actually have the page up right now they're saying that their real estate unit trust in one year the gain was one thousand three hundred and forty seven percent right in the context of a market of, of stock market on the down downward trend and also in the context where fixed income is, is not most fixed income is still not ten percent but they were able to get that now in a context like that you can understand how where people are going to be trying to flow money towards right and you have NCB trying to do a similar thing you have um, VM and others doing the same thing. So, you know, so the stock market is not where institutions want to be putting money right now, unless you believe that this is, um, unless you believe you want to get cheap deals and wait for two, three years, and then you're going to be like a very, very happy person. But for right now, this is not, this is not the game in town. My opinion. Bring up the thing that you said you have up. I'm, I'm going to bring it up. I'm so I know Stephen is referring to, and I believe in one of Barita's quarterlies, they mentioned that they had a stock split, sorry, a stock split, a split uh, of the units uh, for the real estate fund that he's referring to. And there was some addition of, you know, their structured products in that real estate uh, unit trust. And, you know, I still wonder how, because an accompaniment would have helped or something. Because when you see the price at the end of the year versus the price now, I was just confused. And the paper needed to just give that clarity in the pot to the public. But Stephen is right about the fact that you know you're seeing the retreat of money from different asset classes or structured products to other asset classes that are being perceived as income generators because. If you walk around Kingston right now, you're seeing new commercial buildings every second. In Tomobe recently, there's a new commercial building being built in the middle of downtown Montego Bay, near Harmony Park. And, you know, even VM Wealth, they launched a new unit trust called the Real Estate Development Portfolio, a unit trust product. And, you know, that's focused on the financing and development of residential and commercial properties. And, and you know, just to show you that there are a lot of things going on that you have to take into context with regards to just you know where money is going because let's add some more flavor or more spice to the pot so scotia group which has not skipped a dividend at all throughout COVID and everything and every other else in the financial sector basically cut off dividends to shareholders scotia still continue to pay scotia was paying 35 cents per quarter uh up to you know january uh, January to December, right? And now 
for their dividend that's being paid on Thursday, they're paying a dividend of 25 cents. Scotia's reason why, there's a new change in regulatory requirements relating to Basel III coming in effect in July. And as a result, they need to short the capital base further to prepare for those you know, changes to the way things for capital adequacy. So when you have a, comp a company like Scotia, which admitted that even not all during COVID, was paying at stable 35 cents every quarter, cutting from 35 to 25 cents now, you kind of see that that quote unquote steady income that persons would have relied on from you know equities is shifting or declining. So while you have some companies that are actually increasing their dividend payments or in, or you know keeping it stable, when you compare it against the price and look at the yield, it's peanuts. Mm -hmm. Because carriers, for example, they're like around 10% dividend yield. And if you have to go without in tax, you get about eight percent net out. But you have very few companies in the JSC that even average five uh, percent dividend and above. And when you think about it, why well, put my money at risk because there's no guarantee the price of an equity ticket will go up. Why well, put money at risk and you know only get three percent, two percent in dividend income when I can actually get uh, a fixed income instrument, for example, a bond, for example, a repurchase agreement at 10% annualized, or even 8, 9% annualized. And even if you take away holding tax from, from that, you're still in with a pretty high uh, cash flow coming in relative to even inflation. So there are a lot of things that are going on, and that's why you know some persons have switched from you know the equity markets to fixed income. Because when you remember that some persons, for example, use the dividend income that they've got from these companies or, or stocks to pay their bills. When you are seeing this decline in prices of the stocks and also a cut in the dividend, yep. you're going to need to reassess everything and be like, should I rebalance my portfolio and take my money from equities right now, put some of it into fixed income and get that stable income? Because yep. this is going to it. That's your intention if that's if that's what you're in it for. And you have a lot of people like pensioners who are in it for that. They need that that stable income um, regularly. Yeah. Uh, just to put it in context, guys, Stephen was saying it earlier, a uh, 1,300% increase means if you put in $100,000 this time last year, we're in April now, so said April last year, by this time, this year, within one year, that $100,000 is now $1.3 million, which is why he says that's insane growth, because it really is. Insane. Uh, he's holding it up to the to the camera. Yeah, this is. Um, I'm sorry for not being more tech savvy, but this is um, a screenshot of their unit trust return. They say it's a one year return, one thousand three hundred and twenty five percent. Right. So it's right there. That that that's incredible, and that's where wow. that's where big money is trying to um, head towards both in the create from the creation side and both following it as um from the consumer side you know um so eventually it's going to rush back into the stock market right because because the underlining performance of the companies are are still stellar right but just that the um the pe's the um the earnings the, the price earnings are you know those multiples have um been reduced considerably um, you know, it's, 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 you know, 
So one of our viewers, Nigel, has a comment. Nigel says, SSL has had a cascading effect as well. Jamar, would you agree with that? I, I don't know if I would agree with that. Um, however, stock market is speculative and it's driven by consumer confidence. So there may be some um, investors who have decided to, you know, give give it a break and, and look at other assets, maybe perhaps influenced by the, the SSL scandal. But I don't know what, what size effect that that would have really on the market. Um, but Kalila, I don't know if you recall, but the first time I came on your show, it was to talk about the the... Um, the bad performance of the the JC that was you froze oh no closer it... as Stephen Jay isn't based on the performance of the companies because the companies are performing well the companies are Absolutely. are making some of them are making record profits but Absolutely. it's it really is due to the the macroeconomic conditions meaning the infl increased inflation um, which impacts cash flows of businesses as well as BOJ increasing the policy rate to, to fight the inflation and increasing the policy rate which the BOJ has done substantially um, over the past several months um, causes the discount rate to to um, to decline as and that in turn drives down the value of the index as future cash flows are, are valued lower um, but yeah, it really is these um, these macroeconomic conditions that are called. Okay, uh, Jamar is having some internet trouble right now. For making alternative investments. All right, let me, let me take a, the last few comments from our viewers uh, for this segment. Ryan says the real estate fund at this time is hazardous, although the PM announced infrastructure development season. Roswell says, my sources tell me CDs are attractive now, so people will pull out money out of the market to invest in a more stable return on the dollar, reducing their risk. Well, that's what some of you guys have been saying. Let's make deposit. Ryan saying it's bond time for the next five years. Five years. Okay, Ryan. Um, and then Tanisha. So Tanisha, this question will be for Jamar. Tanisha says, I need some guidance in purchasing bonds. Where do I go? So Jamar, as the industry representative on the panel, this is your this is your golden opportunity to recruit Tanisha to JN. <laughs> you need some guidance in purchasing bonds, Jamar. Uh, well, I would I would advise Tanisha to to speak with one of our reps at JN. Um, I'm sure our our number can be in the description there, Kalila, for her to get in touch with one of our reps, and they'll guide her how best to go about purchasing bonds. If not, I can speak with her after after um the show all right tanisha it should be in the description already so just check we always say that at the end check the description box below for right. the contact information yeah so tanisha you can check them out in the description box below we're gonna leave it there for this segment and uh -huh. take a look at our market recap and one last we'll thing Kalila. from the analyst uh david when we come back because you're coming back so so just hold it for after cheers This segment of Taking Stock was brought to you by Bulwark Insurance Agency, insurance made easy.
Hey, moneymakers, join the KRM fam with our official merch. Get it now at KhalilaReynolds.com. Let's get this money. The JC Combined Index gained over 3,000 points or 1% last week. 121 stocks traded across the main and junior markets for the week ending Friday, April 14, 2023. 55 made gains, 53 lost value, and 13 stayed the same. 93 million shares changed hands on the Jamaican dollar market, valued at $308 million. Trans-Jamaican Highway was the week's most traded stock. It took up 16% of market volume, with 17 million shares trading. The stock opened Monday at $1.62. Trans-Jamaican Highway USD traded at the second highest. The stock opened this week at $0.01 cent US. The stock was also the week's third biggest gainer, up almost 23%. And Wigton Wind Farm rounded out last week's most traded with 11 million shares changing hands. The stock gained 3 cents to open Monday at 75 cents. Now let's see who had the biggest gains for the week. Trans-Jamaican Highway 8% was the week's biggest gainer. The stock was up almost 36% to open Monday at $2.99. JMMB 7% VRJMDCR preference shares was the second biggest gainer. It went up almost 27% to start the new week at $2.53. On the losing side now, Jamaica Public Service, 7%, was last week's biggest loser, down 44%. The stock opened Monday at $40.31. Epley 7.75% preference shares fell almost 19% to open the new week at $16.20. And Portland JSX fell 15%, closing the week at $9.80. Over on the Trinidad and Tobago Stock Exchange, the Composite Index was mostly flat last week. Massey was the most traded stock. It opened this week at $4.56 TT. Prestige Holdings was the market's biggest gainer up 9% to open this week at $8.11 TT. And on the losing side, LJ Williams fell almost 8% to open Monday at $2.54 TT. It was a relatively stable week over in the U.S., with the Dow Jones, S&P 500 and the Nasdaq all gaining 1%. At the pumps, gas prices rose $3.06 last week, while diesel prices rose $0.25. Cents. In foreign exchange, it took an average $153.31 Jamaican to purchase one U.S. dollar last Friday. That's $0.60 cents more than a week before. Meanwhile, it took an average $115.16 Jamaican to purchase one Canadian dollar. One British pound cost on average $191.56 Jamaican. And you could buy one euro for $170.44 Jamaican on average. Finally, on the crypto markets, Bitcoin prices dipped a slight 1% over the past five days, with the cryptocurrency trading at $29,549 on Monday. Ethereum, on the other hand, rose 8.5%, trading at $2,081 on Monday. This segment of Taking Stock, the Analysts, is brought to you by Jamaica National Group. We'll help you find a way. Disclaimer. This is not intended as financial advice. Please consult a licensed financial advisor before making investment decisions. Welcome back. Welcome back. So I forgot to ask you guys the poll question before you left. And here it is. What was your reaction when you heard about the JSE $5 billion loss? A, I wanted to sell all my stocks. B, I didn't panic. Not me. 
C, I need to understand what happened. Or D, just other, leave a comment. Let us know what you thought. So you can comment in the chat right here, or you can take our poll on YouTube and or on Twitter as well. What was your reaction when you heard about this $5 billion one-day loss, the JSC now hovering just below, just above pre-pandemic, just above pandemic levels? Yeah, just above pandemic levels. Let's Mode is all over the place tonight. And of course, reminding you while you're at it, hit that like button. We're continuing with our analyst panel. Uh, Stephen has gone. So we have just David back with us and Jamar is back with us as well. But before we continue with the analyst discussion, David, you, is David there? Yeah, I'm oh, here. Don't worry. You had a point that you wanted to make before we went to market recap. So with respect to SSL, there are two sides to that coin. One, SSL clients who did not initiate an intermember transfer of their securities to another broker, they are frozen out of the market. What does that mean? So although their securities are held at the JCSD, JCSD says, hey, if I decide to transfer, contact SSL. Contact SSL, it says that contact FSC. FSC do answer them phone. So as a result, you have numerous investors right now who technically cannot access the market. So they can work with another brokerage account elsewhere, but their securities, their stocks that have accumulated over time, those are frozen. And I know somebody right now, you know, who bought into one of the IPOs recently, had their shares in their account, only security, and no platform FSC who has to give the go-ahead for anything to be done at SSL. So when there's mention of SSL effect, that's one part of the coin, right? And other side of the coin is that you do have persons who are scared right now and you know somewhat disappointed in what's transpired recently. And these research is because you'd have had persons, you know, who have these events occur. JSC says licenses as a dealer, as a broker, and JC contact the victims, but there have been no contact since then. So you do have some persons who are reticent, you know, about the market because of the recent events and also just, you know, how it's been handled. So yeah, I actually thought it would have been worse. I thought the, the, the fallout because of SSL on the stock market would have been worse. But, you know. No, no. I, I, the thing is that it's, it's a smaller play in the market. They keep mentioning, you know, this, it's not more No, not, not necessarily because of the SSL clients. I said the, the general fallout because mm. the public sentiment was just so negative and infuriated at the time and so it's fearful that I thought the overall decline would have been worse as a result of you know just the general sentiment at the time um, I but we didn't see that at least not immediately all right so let's get into our topics for this evening you two have been looking at two particular companies Jamar you've been looking at uh is it carb cement carb cement yeah carb cement 12 month financials this is one we keep an eye on because of the dividend situation in particular. But tell us what you've been seeing with Carb Cement's recent report. Sure, let me. Wait, one second. I'm trying to share my screen. Okay, should be seeing it now. Yes. Okay, excellent. All right, so. As you mentioned tonight, we'll be taking a look at Carb Cement's recently published um, results for the end of financial year 2022. 
Um, just a brief overview of the company, although most people should know. Carb Cement is the sole manufacturer of cement in Jamaica. Its main plant and operations are situated in Rockford, King Kingston, and the raw materials used in the manufacturing process are all mined within 10 miles of the plant. The company is a member of the TCL Group, which is owned by Mexican Global Buildings Company, CIMEX. Now, in terms of recent activity by the company, in August 2022, Carb Cement um, underwent or launched a $6 billion project to upgrade and increase the capacity of its production plant, which is called a kiln, um, by up to 30%. This investment will improve the self-sufficiency of the company to comfortably meet the growing demand of the local construction sector while setting the foundation to supply export markets. The company currently plans to complete major maintenance of the kiln in 2023. Um, additionally, of note, the, with a growing focus on ESG worldwide, Carb Cement has committed to a 47 reduction in its CO2 emissions by 2030, and they're undergoing strategies to achieve that goal. Now, looking at what we are here for, for the financial overview now, taking a look at the profit and loss of the company. Like most companies, Carb Cement would have been impacted by the inflationary pressures caused by COVID-19 as well as the war affecting Eastern Europe. Um, this would have resulted in higher fuel, power and shipping costs for the company. But despite these challenges, Carb Cement was able to deliver a strong performance over the financial year. This is mainly due to the strength of demand for their product, which is cement, especially amid the construction boom happening in Jamaica now. In financial year 2022, we see that the company, let me try and use the pointer here, should be seeing it. Yes. Right, the company achieved revenues of 25.8 billion, which was an 8.4 increase on the 2021 figure. Cost of sales also grew, but not by that much, by 3.3%. And this resulted in the gross profit increasing substantially by 12.36% year over year and gross margin increasing to 44%. Now, this gross margin increase speaks to the improved efficiency of the business, and this resulted in operating profits moving up by 14.2%, increasing to $7.8 billion. Now, the knock-on effect of the improved margins over the period was that net income, net profits, increased from $4.3 billion to $5.38 billion, which was an increase of 24%. And that 5.38 billion is actually a record for the company. Um, and this allowed the company to pay out over 1.3 billion in dividends in the year to shareholders. Um, notably, this is the first time since 2005 that Carb Cement um, paid dividends. Additionally, Carb Cement completed a successful repayment of its preference shares of $1.8 billion um to its parent company i think you might have mentioned that earlier and taking a look at the balance sheet now 
we see that at the end of financial year 2022, Carb Cement's total assets stood at 30.1 billion, having increased by 9.6% year over year. Uh, the most notable increase was its inventories, its net inventories, which in increased by about 2 billion or 59%. And this is possibly to meet the increased demand for cement, which the company has seen. Also of note, cash and cash equivalents more than doubled, um, increasing to 574 million, which highlights the strength of the company's liquidity position compared to the prior year. Total liabilities were down 13.9%, primarily due to a 1.1 billion decrease in payables and accruals, signaling again that the company is paying down on its liabilities. Total equity, driven by the company's continued profitability, moved up by 27%, finishing the year at about $20 billion. Now, in terms of the company's outlook, we have three main points here, which points to a positive short to medium term for carb cement. And those are market domination. As we would have mentioned, they're the sole manufacturer of cement in Jamaica, have been for over 60 years, meaning that Carb Cement has maintained a virtual monopoly on the industry, in essence. Uh, most of the company's revenues are generated locally, and having been around for so long, providing quality, a quality product, Carb Cement has earned considerable customer loyalty in the Jamaican market. Stable demand, um, as would have mentioned, they generate, generated record profits in 2022, primarily driven by the continued increase of infrastructure developments within the construction in industry and in turn high demand for cement. The company is also seeing increased demand from overseas as markets recover from COVID and the externalities caused by the Ukraine conflict. Um, of note, I believe that they are looking to export to Haiti, Cuba, as well as other regional countries. Expansion of capacity would have mentioned that they've invested heavily in improving their operations over the past year. And as such, the company is looking to reap on those investments by improving on their productivity and efficiency going forward. To close up now, looking at their price movement over the past five years we see that between 2018 and 2023 the price of carb cement stock has fluctuated from lows of 40 dollars to highs of 120 dollars in this would have been october 2021 since then the stock price has steadily declined and year over year, it has actually declined from $71.50 in April 2022 to now being at around $57.50. Now, this recent decline has been concurrent with the high inflationary environment, which we would have spoken about, and the overall heightened uncertainty in the local stock market. Notwithstanding this, however, Carb Cement has posted strong results over the period which given the fall off in price has created a great opportunity 
for investors who are looking more to the medium term to pick up this stock. Currently, their price to earnings ratio is trading at around 10.55 times, which is the lowest it's been. We see it here. It's the lowest it's been over the past four years. Um, so on a historical perspective, the, the stock looks attractive as the, the five-year average PE is around 23.5 times. And as stated, it's trading at less than half that. So in conclusion, we would recommend Carb Cement as a buy for most investors who have a medium to long-term horizon. As the stock price is trading close to its historical lows, as well as the PE. So yeah, that's it. Are you seeing this trend with a lot of companies right now, Jamar, where they're posting good results, but certainly the price is just down just because certainly. The, seeing the same is for, for GK, same for NCB posting strong financials, but the market is down as would have mentioned earlier. So it's, as I said, it's a great opportunity for investors currently. You don't want to buy when the stock is high. You want to buy when the stock is low. And we're seeing that for quite a few blue chip stocks, especially. Well, Nigel says the royalty issue has weighed down the stock price. Would you agree with that? Uh, well, I I don't know how much that would have played to investors' um, sensibilities. Some investors look for stocks for dividend reasons, others for growth reasons. So it, it could have some impact in terms of them paying royalties to the parent company. But I don't believe that that should really turn investors off from the, from the company. Well, I, I think it would have had an impact before when, the, when they hadn't been paying dividends for right. X amount of years and people were just upset that they're paying all this money, all these royalties to the parent right. company and shareholders aren't getting right. dividends. And I so think the company, the company is aware of that and they have actually um, comprised a, a dividend committee which, which, were, which they were in charge of um, the last dividend being paid. So I think that's an issue that they're looking to address going forward. Yeah, now that shareholders are being paid dividends, uh, maybe that's changed. Do you want to weigh in, David? Uh, I like to opine and you know, the thing is that shareholders are still ticked off. And then when you combine it with the fact that we're in a, a rising interest rate environment, the price is going to remain suppressed for quite some time. So it's good that they're paying dividends now uh, with remember the context that they're going to have this multi-billion dollar expansion uh, going into this year. <clears throat> but the royalty really did tick off investors because for those who aren't aware, back in October 2021, Carrie Smith was trading as high as $120. Mm -hmm. And now it's showing up around $58. And, you know, you have major shareholders that may be Jamaican equities who have, you know, just been decreasing their exposure to carb cement. And, you know, even the chairman has said, you know, until Semex and, and carb cement has basically got their situation, you see carb cement shares are up for sale once it's at the right price, but they are selling. And they had these shares for years at a very significantly reduced price. They are making profits at any price they're basically selling at. So the royalty does still play into, into it because the reality is the parent company didn't, so the vote, but it didn't have vote. 
it was a poll that was steamrolled to shareholders. So while the shareholders would have voted in favor against the sorry, voted against the resolution by using the poll, Semex basically steamrolled shareholders and forced their, their payment to themselves uh, in effect. And persons didn't like that. Imagine you have this foreign company or a Jamaican company. They mentioned, oh, we spend some amount of money on, you know, buying local inventory and all these other things. But when it came out to a matter such as this, you steamroll the resolution through. There was no transparency or guidance for persons to really latch onto when it came out to the dividend. And even they're posting better profits, you know, you know, have all these different things, you're increasing the price of cement. There was apathy is still in the trash. Like if you look at the cell queue for carry cement, it's very large. So I have a couple comments. Oshin says they have paid one dividend in like a decade. Come on. Longer, <laughs> longer, than, longer, than, longer than a decade. First in 17 years. 17, so almost two decades. <laughs> Ryan says the parent company deserves its royalty. They use their parent business model to turn around CCC, which was hammered down by TCL. So there's that perspective as well. But coming back to you, David, so I asked Jamar earlier if this is a trend that we've been seeing where companies are performing well, yet the stock price is still down. You've taken a look this week at Supreme Ventures year-end results. What are we seeing there? So, you know, investors did react to Supreme Ventures, you know, earnings coming out. So you saw when the earnings came out in that same final week of the first quarter, around March 27, 28, the price from like $24 to like $30 within like three days. And, you know, investors were quite impressed by SPL and, you know, just the trajectory it is taking right now. So add some flavor to that. So SPL, in effect, would have grown, you know, they net profit by almost 50% year over year. Did a billion dollars worth of profitability in Q1, did $1.02 billion worth of net profit in the final quarter, which was Q4, which had been the World Cup time. So imagine you earn $13.25 billion in revenue, right, Kalila? And you earn $1.02 billion in net profit. I would like that business. And Supreme Ventures... I would like it too. <laughs> I would pay like nine it to their profit as dividends. So they earn $1, they pay $0.09 cents out as dividends to shareholders. And keep the remaining amount left over to actually reinvest into the business. So that kind of shows you, you know, how serious Spring Ventures is, you know, for shareholders and everybody that's concerned. And, you know, they basically signed this recent agreement in Ghana, playing the pick one and pick four games. Uh, that agreement is supposed to be signed or, you know, coming to play very shortly. You know, we saw where the chairman, executive chairman, SVL Gary Peart, and also Solomon Sharp. Executive Chairman of S. Furniture's Race Entertainment Limited went to Hong Kong, you know, and that's part of their overall ambition, you know, to explore different markets, see how they can actually stream and sell the races at carriers overseas. I you know carriers, they've spent more than $1.5 billion in terms of CapEx at, at K Manas, and, you know, they were required $2.5 million. So the current spend at K Manas, you know, reflects their confidence going forward in the, in the horse racing business. And, you know, under the horse racing segment, which would be sports betting for SBL, that doubled year over year in terms of the segment result. And for lottery, 
Lottery went up uh, from what, like $5.1 billion versus uh, $3.28 billion in terms of segment results. And through the scratchers, all these nice things, they're acquiring Michaela Financial Services Limited, which is still pending a microcredit list from the BOJ. You know, they created a new subsidiary or, you know, repurpose a subsidiary to own real estate, which they can then potentially list on the JSC or leverage their own benefit. And S Village has so many things going on that it makes things pretty attractive and interesting for, you know, shareholders. And here's a good thing about it. The current chairman, executive chairman Gary Peart, last year, April, you know, his commission agreement was amended. Instead of getting cash, he got paid in shares. And you're like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> so... Last year on this time. So that's a money move right there. <laughs> of course. Well, here's a joke. He had 1,082 shares last year, right? No, he has 2.56 million shares. Wow. You see? So I tell you, money move. So think of when we was that $30, that's $76 million. So his, the associated SVL is to his benefit which overall in turn benefits general shareholders as well. So my, is, let me get my pen. All right, what, what now? Get paid in shares for work. Uh, all right, cool. No, but okay. actually it's a good, very good thing in a career. Like you, I remember there's a Brazilian artist, you know, who did a, a mural, I believe, or part of the painting at Facebook in its early days. And you was paid in Facebook shares, and you know those shares are worth a lot more today. Yeah, David so, Cho is his name. I can't remember his name. Oh, yeah, thanks, 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 Jamar. But you know, just to show you that when you are invested by taking commission in shares versus cash, you're likely to benefit down the road once the business itself continues to scale itself further. And you know, SVL is continuing to leverage its platform to grow. They have their own proprietary lottery software, you know. They have created a single sign among their entire set of online gaming products. You know, they're expanding their food and grass Jamaica, opening in Guyana, this, that. And it just looks good. And although it has seen stock, which might not be attractive to some religious uh, uh, observance, the reality is SVL is in a much better stead and is in a much better direction for shareholders because. Considering we're looking from five years ago, the price then, you know, the dividend payments now, it's a much better run ship. I wonder if NCB would do that. They have some money for me. You know? <laughs> well, 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 the thing is that uh, at some companies locally, as part of the commission scheme, you do get paid in shares or you get to, con to participate in a share option scheme. So some companies do have that structure where, as a member of an executive, you do get commission in shares. You yeah, have some yeah. companies that give you ESOP, where the employees can buy shares at a discounted price from a specific pool. So even, for example, last year with GK's 100th anniversary, they give their start ability to buy about 2,000 shares, I think, of GK at like $75. And that was when the price was shared to $100. And even Massey, on the 100th anniversary, all Massey shareholders got shares in Massey, all Massey employees got shares in Massey by the 100th anniversary. So every employee became a shareholder yeah, on the 100th anniversary. 
Masayang GKS. I remember that indeed. Big moves. All right, we'll learn from one well, people that they observe what, what wealthy people do and, and learn lessons by yourself. So uh, one comment actually in the chat, Kalila. I saw some persons in the chat discussing preferential versus ordinary shares. Keep it simple, short, ordinary shares, you have voting rights, you carry the most risk. If it's listed, for example, the price goes up, your gains are un unlimited. Preference shares, they're likely have a fixed maturity date. They are paid ahead of ordinary shareholders. They have no voting rights, but there are opportunities. So for example, other day, CAC 9.5 preference shares was trading at uh, 90 cents. The maturity price was $1. And I bought those preference shares back in, I think it was early January. And you know, the maturity was March. So for, for context and example, if I bought 10,000 shares at 90 cents, that's about $9,000. When the maturity came, I would have been paid $10,000. So that is how persons, in effect, can make money, you know, when they're buying preferences on a JSC, at least the ones that are listed in that case. My warning, understand, you know, when the preference matures, know the actual maturity or issuance or par value. Okay, it doesn't make sense for you to be paying $17 a preference share with that value at the six dollars, or to be like persons where by one three so preference share, it should at eight dollars and the power value is all the way at five. <laughs> so, you know, that's something to really take note of. Well, Tanisha um, said she appreciates the information she's really learning. So from you and from the other participants who are answering her questions in the chat. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Jamar, this week. All right, we're going to come back with a few more questions and comments from the audience. So stay with us. This segment of Taking Stock, the Analysts was brought to you by Jamaica National Group. We'll help you find a way. So final comments, Lady Shen says, I totally agree about the fixed income and real estate. Uh, what else do we have here? Oshin says, I bought my first bond the other day. Fixed income is the move. It's definitely what's hot right now in the market. Earl says, I look at it as a paper loss once I don't sell any stock, but I need funds to buy more stocks. So that's one way to look at it. Roswell saying, it's good to... Okay, this was a question from Tanisha first. Tanisha was asking, what is a comfortable amount of stocks to be managed by an individual? And how would you advise them in selecting industries for diversification? Tanisha, let me tell you something. Keisha Bailey, profit jump starter, answers this very question. She has a whole video. It's like about an hour long in my Our Money Mission Masterclass. So if you want to know more about that, definitely check it out at kalilareynolds.com masterclass. She goes through what makes great companies to invest in. Why are companies great? What makes them great for you and for your needs, for your investment needs? Check it out at kalilareynolds.com slash masterclass. Roswell also uh, gave you somewhat of an answer. She said it's good to read on the companies you're interested in. Know their business, know the high and the low that each company trades at on a daily basis. Yes. So yeah, we've had a really great show this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
We appreciate your presence here on Taking Stock. Guys, if you haven't hit the like button yet, I'm begging you. No, I'm not begging you. I don't beg. I don't beg. I'm encouraging you to like the video. Subscribe to the channel. Share it with a friend. Don't gatekeep all this awesome information. Make other people know too. And then, of course, I'm also encouraging you to subscribe to the newsletter. And let me tell you why. We've been giving you even more value in the newsletter. I know that sometimes it's difficult to keep up with all the stuff that's going on. I know, especially, I post a lot. I post three to four times a day. And you're busy. Sometimes you miss some important things. What we've been doing now with the newsletter is sending out all of those cool videos, such as the, the JSC losing the $5 billion, uh, what happened with what's going on with Barita's restructuring and eventual delisting from the JSC. And not only are we sending that to your inbox, we are also giving you a transcript of the entire video. So let's say you come across this information at a time when you can't really watch a video. You're in a public place, you can't listen, it's too loud, um, or you're in a meeting, <laughs> you're not really supposed to be checking email then, but it's boring, and you just want to read the transcript, you can read the full transcript because we're sending it straight to your email. You don't necessarily have to watch the full video. You can just read the information for yourself. But this is the additional value we are giving you in the newsletter. And also, if you are a new subscriber, you get a copy of my free broker guide. We also encourage you to turn on the post notifications so that you can be the first one to see everything when it drops. You want to help people learn more about money. So we all just get this money together. I want to encourage you as well. You're watching right now on YouTube or Facebook, but we also have Instagram. We're on Twitter. I'm on TikTok at Kalila Ray and at KRM underscore business news on IG. And remember, those are my only accounts. I have no backup accounts and I'm not, I will never DM you asking you for um, money or if you want to open an account with me. I don't trade on people. I'm not a stockbroker, so don't send me any money for that purpose, right? The only business I do is via my website. Just remember that. I don't have a telegram either. Somebody contacted me yesterday saying, um, oh, I just responded to you on telegram. I'm like, um, I don't have a telegram. And they sent me a whole screenshot of like a whole conversation, a back and forth. And this person had been sending that person money. Scammer. The scammers are out there, not me. All right. If you want to connect with the analysts this week, check the description box below for their contact information. And we also have it on our website, kalilareynolds.com, for financial information you can use however you like it. You can watch, listen, or read. And we want to tell a friend. We want you to tell a friend about taking stock because investing is the new sexy. Let's make it cool to talk about money. I'm Kalila Reynolds. Thanks for watching and see you next week. Oh, before I say that, we have a new video out. Came out yesterday evening about First Rock getting into the medical industry. So check that video out right here on YouTube. You can watch it right now. Just watch it next. Check it out. See you later. Let's get this money. <laughs> <laughs>